0: he suspected like I don't know if it's getting in anyway okay I just, Todd was very faint it's only coming through one earbud <laughs> fine take mine my earbuds work it's not my earbuds they're glorious they obviously aren't working <laughs> they are working they're, they're delightful <laughs> I've
1: listened to many hours in those earbuds <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast. I'm Joseph Drowski here with Todd Mack, and each week we look at a great character and a great story. Today we're talking about Aang in Avatar The Last Airbender. We're looking at the ninth episode of the second season titled Bitter Work. It was written by Aaron E. Hoss, e. Hoss, and directed by Ethan spalding
2: So, Avatar is a cartoon. It aired for three seasons on Nickelodeon. Uh, And then it was adapted into a film called The Last Airbender that was written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan, who has made some of my most favorite films, but this is not one of my most favorite (laughs) films. Uh, And most people who really love uh, this cartoon uh, do not like the the live action film. I started watching it on an airplane and fell asleep. (laughs) And uh, thankfully so. (laughs) Prior to
1: now... That was my only exposure to this franchise.
2: Had you seen that film?
1: Yes. That was the only, my only uh, exposure to The Last Airbender was that Shyamalan film.
2: It's really sad because, because there was so much hope going in. It's like Avatar The Last Airbender, which is totally awesome, and M Night Shyamalan, who and, and at that point had made The Sixth Sense, which is a fantastic film, he'd made Signs, which is also a really good film, and he made Unbreakable, Unbreakable, which is a fantastic film, and he made Later in the Water, which I know has kind of mixed reactions, but I actually liked it.
0: Was this before or after the happening? I want to say it was after, so people he was starting to burn some bridges. He was, he
1: was on, yeah, he was on a downhill. I think
0: he was, yeah, and,
1: and a lot of people thought. I remember the, the discussion around it was, well, he's adapting something else, so it's not going to be just him kind of relying on his own storytelling, which a lot of people had felt he'd gotten stuck in a rut with his storytelling. So there was a lot of hope that adapting something would do good things to his career. And it just, no, it just no. didn't
2: work out. <laughs> but we're not here to talk about that film. We're here to talk about this amazing uh, cartoon, uh, which won some Annie Awards, which are, I'm guessing... A- Animation. A- Animation Awards? And yes, the, uh,
0: the, the Annie's are a uh, industry award for animation. It's not necessarily entirely fair. There is a, a fee to enter and it's all like some companies will fund the <laughs> membership in the voting pool oh. for all their employees. <laughs> so it's not considered a like a, an even level playing field, <laughs> but, um, it is, it's nice to get those awards.
2: Yeah. Nice. Uh, i also won an Emmy and I would say well-deserved. This is one of the, um, I, I think I can, without reservation, say this is one of the best television series that I've seen in the last few years. Like just start to finish. It's fantastic. So, I agree. I will have to watch more. Um, <laughs> So, uh, this is this the only episode you watched, Joseph.
1: Yeah, I th- I think I saw part of the pilot with my daughter once. Okay.
0: So,
2: so I uh, I guess it wasn't completely <laughs>
1: old, but it was pretty much, yeah, this, <laughs> this is all I know is what was in this episode.
2: Do you want to say anything else about how you came to this or just?
1: Uh, you suggested... I mean, I feel like usually I'm doing this to you yes. in the
2: podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how the tables have turned.
1: <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm pushing my favorite things onto you. So uh, Now yeah, now, now it's my turn to be the, uh, the novice rube in the
2: room. Nice. I uh, I... I don't even know if I should say this, but I'm sort of shocked that you haven't seen this. It seems like it's right in your wheelhouse.
1: It's been recommended to me by the people whose recommendations I would usually follow. I just have never gotten around to it.
2: Is there a reason? Is there sort of a, you
1: You know, my, my deep seated bias against all things, juvenile Todd.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, that's what I, that's what I'm saying. It seems so odd for you, for this to be the one holdout. Considering that it's like one of the best. It's
1: really just, uh, well, I guess I, I often make the excuse to get around to these sorts of things when I want to do a research project on it. Uh, <laughs> I've never had the chance okay. to work on a publication on this. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, i I mean, it's kind of like we talked about with, um, college sports, like, uh, with the Rudy episode. We kind yeah. of, I, I kinda of said that like college football is the one sport I'm able to cling to and I've had to trim back my viewing of many other sports just because of time and responsibilities in adulthood. <laughs> uh, and Curse in adulthood. Um <laughs> <Yes>. adulthood. <laughs> and that happens with entertainment too, where
2: like I everything that I hear is good, I can't get around to, and this is just what I haven't gotten to. One of the most depressing thing thoughts that I've had over the last wow, well, I bet I I bet I first had this thought. Maybe it was, maybe I was a late bloomer. I don't know. Uh, if you've haven't if you haven't had this thought, then I'm sorry, but I'm going to, I'm going to cede it to you right now. Uh, the thought is that there is no way that I will ever be able to read or view everything that I want to. (laughs) Like I could, even if I had like unlimited time and resources, it's every, every time that I pick up a book. uh,
1: Um, oh, all of a sudden I'm blanking on the, on the character's name, the Twilight Zone character, uh,
2: yeah, Henry Bemis. There we
1: go, Henry Bemis. Yeah.
2: No, but like every time you choose to watch something, you're choosing not to watch something else. And that's, I don't know. It's like something dies every time you read something, you, you kill the opportunity to read something else.
1: <laughs> well, I was just having a, a conversation <laughs> about um, that they're kind of pantheon-level entertainment where I will go back and like reread it or re rewatched like an entire series. Yeah. So like for me, West wing is Pantheon level. Like I I can re binge West wing. Wow. Even though I've watched every episode once. And then there are those kind of like bones where I said, like I, I've watched pretty much every episode, but I don't think I'm ever going to go back and, you know, re binge. Sure. That's that show. So it's, it's good. It's solid, but it's not that Pantheon level entertainment, but uh-huh. that Pantheon level for me, like you said, like if I'm choosing to rewatch West wing again, it means I'm not, being exposed to something for the first time, yeah, and that says how hot how high quality I hold those things that yeah. I'm always willing to rewatch or reread.
2: Well, I would absolutely rewatch Avatar. It's well, it's good. I'll
1: put it in my two binge pile.
2: Well, I I, I, I mean I don't want to I don't want to like set it up so high and then have you watch it and go no nah, it was okay. But um, as for me in my house, we will rewatch Avatar: The Last Airbender because <laughs> we really enjoyed it.
0: Um, I, I can admit to having rewatched it a number of times, including when I got my tonsils out and was roughly incapacitated for six days.
2: Yeah. Producer Andrew, with a little insight.
0: The uh, convalescence.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing that I really like about this is that um, the episodes are short. They're only 20 minutes and uh, you can watch it with your kids, which is how I watched it the first time. Kimmel and I uh, watched it, you know, 20 minutes a night. And we just, uh, every night before we went to bed, we'd pull out the iPad and sit down and, and watch an episode. And he liked it, and I liked it, and then the the girls. This was before Ian was born. So this was probably 2010, 11, and uh, 12 maybe. I don't know. What year did it come out? It probably came out in 2011, and I'm, I'm saying that it's not.
1: It was uh, 2010 to 2013.
2: Uh-huh. The recesses of my mind are <laughs> correctly. So this yeah. would have been just as it was, just as it was quick. coming out uh, on Netflix, and I think that it, there wasn't a long, uh, a long wait. The recesses of my mind were wrong. Oh, <laughs> this aired from
1: 2005 to 2008.
2: Yeah, there we go. So that like 2010 to 2012, I think is probably when I watched it. So and I don't really remember how it, I came about it. I was at Stanford, and I'm sure that it was recommended by some other nerd there, and. Uh, and I just watched it in the nights with Kimball and it was awesome. It was really like one of the, one of those things that kind of stands out as I think about sort of being a young father is uh, tied up in, in the the images of this series. So, so anyway, I like it. It's good stuff.
1: So uh, this episode that we're talking about is part of the series, the last airbender in which there are individuals who can control some of the elements. They can, there's an airbender who can move wind and air, there are waterbenders and earthbenders and firebenders. And in this particular episode, Ang, who I want to call Ong sometimes because I've mostly just seen it written out, but it is pronounced Ang, uh is learning he is an airbender who apparently has been trained some in waterbending in previous episodes and is now beginning to learn earthbending. Yeah, so So he he from my rudimentary understanding, based mostly on the opening credits, <laughs> normally you can't do all those things, but he is the
2: chosen one. Right. So, in this world, there are these four societies. And inside of the societies, there are some people who have the ability to bend their elements. So, a firebender can sort of take the energy from the air and create fire and then sort of shoot fire out of their hands. Uh, awesome. A, a waterbender can take the moisture out of the air. Uh, but usually needs some bigger source of water so like a, a water bending master would carry maybe a canteen with them that they could then pull the water out and then they can manipulate that water as a weapon uh, and sort of shoot water or turn it into ice it's very does,
1: cool does it become ice or something because being strongly nope. splashed by a canteen's worth of water well sound... <laughs> you have to
2: see a real water bending fight it's pretty amazing they might be able to get two
0: fire hose kinds of pressure. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah, all right. Uh, yeah. A fire hose of canteens worth of water
1: wouldn't
2: be pleasant. Or, or using it like a knife, it, you know, like with so much pressure and so fine that you could slice grass. You, you know how it. they cut that space shuttle steel, Joseph? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah. got gotcha. you. I've seen. Okay. I've
1: seen how it's made when they use the water pressure to cut metal.
2: Yes, that's. So think of that um and then you have air be- or earth who can move rocks they can uh basically yeah basically move rocks <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but they can also like uh, like, <laughs> which sounds know. just off- offhand sounds more intimidating
1: than moving water. <laughs> just say. I mean, you guys, you 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 convinced me with your descriptions of the water bending. But if I was just like, which one of these is going to be scarier in a
2: fight? I'd go with earth bending. Water bending is water bending is pretty awesome. I think, I think it's pretty cool. But um, and then you have so earth bending is it's like uh, you can you can push rocks, but you can also you know, pull the rocks out of the, or pull earth out of the ground and then throw it. Uh, or
1: I saw, uh, she clad herself in rock armor. A la yes. The thing in the currently <laughs> presently at the time of this recording, infamous fantastic four character. Yes. Because of a rather poorly received film. Yeah. <laughs> but really a classic combo character. <laughs>
2: uh, so that's earth bending. And then air bending is, uh, just the manipulation of wind, um, which gives you, uh, so you can use wind to like, cr- you could create a strong wind to maybe push an opponent, but you can also use wind to buoy you up and, and fly uh, or jump high. An airbender is sort of light on his feet. And, uh, and so Aang is uh, by, by nature an airbender. So he was born into the airbending tribe, which was then destroyed by the Fire Nation, so that's why he's the last Airbender because there are no Airbenders left. He's the only one, um, but he's so also these, these fire people. And I hope that's not a slur, but these the fire the Fire Nation are the, uh, are they the bad guys. Are
1: aggressive? Yes, they are the
2: aggressors. Yeah, so uh, so Aang is the Airbender and, or the Avatar, and he is supposed to master all four elements and then sort of create balance in the world. Uh, but when, but he, and he's a little boy, I mean, he's like, he looks like he's eight. <laughs> he's 12. I was, was going to say, I mean, but, wait, my quick reading, I believe he's 12. Yeah. And, but he sort of ran away from his responsibility and got frozen in ice. And then these two water tribe members, Katara and Sokka find him, uh, and they unfreeze him from the ice and then they realize that he's the avatar, and so they go on a journey to try to help him to master all four elements, uh, so that he can restore balance to the world because the Fire Nation is taking over everything. Okay, there we go.
1: So that sounds interesting. <laughs> this series is on Netflix, and not right now. I think it's oh. actually
2: not on Netflix right now, but it is on Amazon Prime.
1: Oh, it's on Amazon Prime. That's it. okay,
2: and it is also available for purchase on DVD. And it is also at producer Andrews. The house, I'm sure, on DVD. That I watched it. Yes.
1: <laughs> I was going to watch it on Netflix, I thought, but apparently I wouldn't have. No, it's on, I Amazon on, it on Amazon Prime. you to watch
2: on Amazon Prime. Alrighty. So, do you want to give us a quick spoiler free synopsis of this episode? I already did that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you did? Did you talk about Toff? Uh, at the start of this, I said he's.
1: Oh, yeah. I think, I think I, you I, said he tries to learn to move a rock. <laughs> that's <laughs> the gist of it yeah he's, he's getting trained in earthben I, co- I covered that, that okay. then
2: you provided a brief synopsis of the entire series okay <laughs> fairly brief synopsis here goes my fairly brief synopsis of this episode you ready hit me okay here come the spoilers so if you don't want spoilers hang up um, so in the lead up to this episode, Aang the Avatar and his Water Tribe friends Sokka and Katara have found a young blind girl named Toph to teach him earthbending. Uh, Zuko, who is Aang's firebending nemesis, is in hiding slash exile with his uncle Iroh, his old uncle Iroh, who's a firebending master, after they've been defeated by Zuko's crazy powerful sister Azula. who. Quick note. Yes. Quick note. In our discussion that's going to follow, I may not master those names. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. Uh, but Azula, her, she is she's like an amazing uh, firebender, and she can create blue lightning. Um, like Palpatine. I'll get that. Uh, so the episode begins on a bright sunny morning with an excited Aang and a confident Toph. It's the first day of earthbending class. As we mentioned, Katara, Aang's patient and kind waterbending teacher, is a bit miffed because of the respect Aang shows to Toph, since he treats Katara more like a friend. Uh, Toph tells Aang that he needs to be steady and strong like a rock, which is not in his nature because he's an airbender. Uh, Then she pushes a rock. When Aang tries to do the same, he just goes flying backwards. Then we cut to Zuko and his uncle Iroh. Zuko, eh, who is slowly kind of, he's sort of changing himself. We're starting to see... Maybe a softer side to Zuko. Uh, He's kindly prepared a cup of tea for his injured uncle, but the tea's terrible. Uh, Zuko tells his uncle that he wants to learn advanced firebending, uh, but then he says, oh, you probably don't want me to do this because Azula's my sister and we should probably get along. And then uh, Iroh tells her, no, Azula's crazy and she needs to go down, (laughs) and it's time to resume your training. Uh, meanwhile, Aang continues to fail at earthbending. He proposes they approach the problem in a different way, from some kind of different angle. Uh, but Toph, who's increasingly impatient, tells him that there are no tricks. You just have to face this problem head on. Uh, she, can, she starts calling him Twinkle Toes. She puts him through a rigorous training sessions uh, that kind of start to yield some results in Aang's strength. But he has an Aang's strength. He, now you did it to me. in Aang's strength. <laughs> Uh, but he still has no ability to earthbend. Uh, now we see that Saka, who is the friend and the only one of these people who is unable to bend anything, uh, who is, he's gone off to hunt for food. He tries to kill a cute little baby moose animal, but then he falls in a rock in the ground, and he gets wedged with his arms pinned. Uh, and Let's say he
1: falls in a crevice, not falls in a rock.
2: He falls in a crack. Did I say a rock? Yeah. yeah. Oh, he, falls, he in falls in a crack. It. Yeah. A crevice in the ground, and he gets wedged with his arms pinned, and he, just his shoulders and his head are above the ground. Back at the ranch, Iroh's teaching Zuko how to create blue lightning. Uh, firebenders usually only bend orange fire. Uh, he tells Zuko that lightning is cold-blooded fire and requires peace of mind, balance of yin and yang, positive and negative energy. Uh, Zuko s- understands this on an intellectual level, but every time he tries to bend lightning, it blows up in his face because he's too he has too much uh, turmoil inside of him. Aang's earthbending lessons uh, also continue to go poorly, uh, and Toph decides that instead of trying to push a rock, he needs to try to stop a rock. Uh, Katara expresses concern that this might not be the best way to teach him. Toph says thanks for the observation and, and then puts a blindfold on Aang uh, so they'll have to feel the vibrations of the rock like she does because she's blind. Uh, then she sends an Indiana, Indiana Jones-sized boulder hurtling towards him, but instead of staying in his horse stance, uh, Aang jumps over the rock. Toph is furious. She tells him he's a starlight gutless, starlight, gutless wimp. Uh, she asks him point-blank if he had what it takes to be an earthbender, and Aang, who's totally dejected at this point, Tells her, "No, I don't think I do." Uh, then this peace-loving, friendly Katara comes and recommends that maybe they go practice some water bending. And uh, and Toph says, "Yeah, go splash around until you feel better." My, we were watching this with my girls, and my my girls were like, "Toph is mean." <laughs> Said I like Toph, uh, but my girls didn't. They they didn't like her. She, they thought she was too mean. Uh, Zuko continues to struggle with lightning. Every time he tries to bend it, it blows up in his face. Ira tells him he has too much inner turmoil. He has to let, uh, let go of shame. Zuko replies that he has no shame, that he's proud. And Ira tells him pride is not the opposite of shame, but its source. True humility is the only antidote to shame, which I really like. Uh, then he proposes teaching Zuko a new move that he invented, one that even Azula doesn't. Know. Azula doesn't know. Uh, and by now, Sokka is continually is continued uh, stuck in the crevice in the ground. Uh, he starts talking to the Karma Gods. He swears to them that he'll never eat meat again. The baby animal brings him an apple, but leaves it just out of Sokka's reach, humorously. <laughs> Uh, Aang and Katara talk while they waterbend. She tells him that this is just temporary block and that it's okay that it's tough for him since just like fire and water are opposites, so are earth and air and Aang's an airbender and so it's natural for this to be hard for him. Uh, We get back to Iroh giving Zuko lessons. Um, he talks about all the different elements. Fire is desire and will. Earth is substance, strong, persistent, enduring. Air is freedom. Water is change and adaptation. Zuko says this all sounds like Avatar talk. And Iroh says, well, that's why the Avatar's strong, because he understands all of the elements. Uh, and then he tells him that this new... Uh, this new move that he's going to teach him is something that he learned from observing waterbenders which is kind of cool and not typical of a firebender to take um, notes on other benders uh, Toph now takes, uh, starts taking Aang's things she takes his special staff that he uses to fly uh, trying to provoke him but he won't take the bait they split up to look for Sokka Sokka has now given up meat and sarcasm to the karma gods which he says is his whole entire identity meat and uh, meat and sarcasm uh, Aang finds uh, finds him, but he's unable to get him out with his airbending. Since Sokka is really, really wedged in this crevice, uh, so he just sits down next to Sokka and starts telling him his problems. Uh, the, baby, the baby animal comes back, and Sokka introduces Aang to Fufu Cuddly Poops. <laughs> Aang mentions that that's a cute name for a baby saber toothed moose lion, which Sakka did not realize that that was the kind of animal that this was. <laughs> and at that moment, the mother baby, the mother saber tooth moose lion shows up, and she's very angry. Uh, Zuko masters a new move that his uncle shows him, but Ira refuses to shoot lightning at him. Uh, so Zuko angrily looks out at the storm on the horizon and tells his uncle he'll go find his own lightning. Aang defeats the mother saber tooth moose lion using airbending only to find that Toph had been watching the whole time. Aang, uh, Aang confronts her angrily. Try to say that ten times fast. I hope you said Ong <laughs> confronts her angrily. <laughs> Ong confronts her angrily. And then, <laughs> and then uh, she tries to crack a nut, a nut with his staff but this is sort of the last straw, and Aang stops her. And then she says, this is it. This is your moment. You have to, to earthbend right now. Uh, you stood up to a saber-toothed moose lion, and what's more, you stood up to me. Uh, so he tries, and he finally succeeds at moving a rock. And then she gets uh, Sokka out of the ground. The episode ends with Zuko standing atop a barren mountain with lightning flashing all around him. But it never, uh, never strikes him. So he can't practice his move and he's very angry and he yells at the elements. Hit me with everything you've got. That's what you always do. Why won't you hit me now? Uh, But the lightning won't strike him. And then we see this one lone tear break across his cheek and he yells into the storm and then it ends. Fiend.
1: Well done, Todd. Thank you. Good summary of um, a very strange world. (laughs) (laughs) So delightful. Yes, like, it, uh, it has a mix of kind of take, Tex Avery cartoons, but then Hero's Journey and, you know, superhero action kind of things, like, it, it's, All this
2: cool Asian kind of Zen philosophy. Yeah,
1: yeah. It, yeah. Magic karate. Ah,
2: so awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah, so many different genres are getting blended in and you... Yeah, it, it's, it's just a unique world that, uh, the creators have made for uh, for this cartoon series. So I was delighted by that, uh, in what was, again, pretty much my first exposure. Cause I, I'll be honest. I barely remember the Shyamalan <laughs> film. <laughs> Good.
2: Uh, <laughs> if like, you wait uh, long enough, it may be erased completely from
1: your memory. <laughs> I was watching this with, uh, our producer, Andrew. And there were a couple times where I was like, oh, that, that thing has six legs. <laughs> yeah. And like, I don't remember that for the film. It's like, Oh, it was there. <laughs> I, was like, oh, I, I really didn't even remember that.
2: Here's the thing, and this is maybe hopefully the last thing that I'll say about the film. I don't even remember why I didn't like the film. I just remember this like overwhelming feeling of disappointment that I that I was not in love with it. Like I loved this
1: right this and, thing. And so, so I didn't have that reaction because I, you know, I was no. Like I did not know the franchise at all. And I, I completely understand that many of the fans of the cartoon series were really, really disappointed in that live action um interpretation that was going out to a wider audience as a box office, you know. Yeah. What was Pitch's box office? Um I just I mean, I barely remember the film, so it was just forgettable for me. Yeah, and that's how <laughs> that's
2: kind of how it was for me. If you were to say, what did you not like about the film? Like what did they get wrong? I would just say, I don't know, they just didn't get it right. I don't even <laughs> remember what they got wrong, I just remember how disappointed I was.
1: Yeah, so I, I, I was not disappointed as, you know, someone who held the franchise up. I just, you know, it just wasn't a very It just good didn't movie.
2: stand on its own as a film. Yeah. Uh, so what was your reaction to this?
1: I thought it was uh, a really well-done training episode. I think, you know, so many... Clearly, this is going to have some hero's journey elements, and this is part of the, you know, the training and gaining of new skills. Yes. Uh, and, and we got the dual storylines, and I think they did a really good job of depicting... Both of those and also teach showing several different teaching styles huh. and the, you know, the students kind of reacting differently to those different teaching styles. It, you know, it's, I guess we don't see a whole lot of it, but, uh, the waterbender, her name is Katara Katara. Yes. She's,
2: as you said, more compassionate and caring uh-huh. in her teaching. She's very and patient the, and yes. she's all about, po- I know that the, it's not really positive reinforcement because anyway, but yes yeah, but it's positive. Uh, teaching yeah. style. Yeah.
1: And then the earthbender whose name is Toph. Tough, Toph, Toph.
2: It sounds like tough. Yes.
1: <laughs> the, you know, very hard nosed and, you know, just, just tough love in, you know, uh, trying to uh, mold uh, Aang into what she needs him to be and not work with what Aang is already. And then we have the, in the dual storyline with the firebender, mm-hmm.
2: Uncle Iroh.
1: Uncle Iroh is kind of this, simultaneously, he's the, he's the wise sagely figure, but he's also a goofball. Yeah. <laughs> like, his, like he, he has more humorous sides than anyone
2: else. <laughs> yeah. His arc is really cool because when, he, when, the, when the, it starts, he looks kind of like a, just a buffoon. And you yeah. see his wisdom come out over time. And so he transforms just as all of these characters transform right. over time. And uh, Iros is is really cool.
1: Yeah, I don't know. In this episode, I mean, this is my only exposure to him, like, he says the most profound things. Mm-hmm. He seems to be have have more wisdom than anyone else, but he also, like, just has the most absurdest humor and finds right. comedy in the most unexpected places.
2: But And that has to do with his, I think, his sense of balance. He's all about balance, right? You have to know about all four elements, and... And even a firebender like him can learn something from the waterbenders. And so you see this this deep, calm, um, philosophical side, but then you also see this kind of quirky, humorous side. And I think it fits well with his character as uh, being this kind of wise, old, uh, balanced sage. There's There's also other
0: episodes where you see sort of the ferocious power that he has at his disposal. Yeah. Which is... Very significant, actually. He is, you know, a, as skilled a fighter, if not more skilled than anyone else you see in the series. Yeah,
2: I mean, he's he's able to uh, redirect lightning. I mean, <laughs> he can be struck by lightning and redirected through his body. And, uh, yeah, he's – I mean, I don't want to spoil any more of this, but he has just a really cool – uh, arc and he's a he's a deep character with a lot of different uh facets and i really like him a lot and
1: he i mean he kind of reminded me of well i guess it's it's two parts of yoda that you see like when you first meet yoda in empire strikes back and he's this goofy little yes. alien that luke doesn't know he's yoda. exactly uh and then he becomes this wise sage master but in this show you kind of see both like from one line to the next you might flip between those whereas right. yoda just kind of stops being goofy once luke realizes he's yoda
2: yes yeah, it's they they keep that early Yoda go- going. <laughs> it's awesome. Uh so what did you think of Aang?
1: Uh, I thought he was really believable in what uh his learning process. Uh-huh. I mean I guess we uh, in this one episode I don't see him do um you know a whole lot of the the kind of chosen one things. I mean this is his process of learning, but that process is very it's something that i recognize uh-huh. um because he he do, it doesn't come instantly for him and he starts out as the you know the very eager student like okay i've got you know I'm, I'm gonna learn this new skill and it's a skill i really want to learn and then he uh you know that eagerness kind of gives way to uncertainty as he's like being given the instructions he's like well i don't know if i can do that uh and then we get this <laughs> I, I really liked this uh rocky kind of esque you know the rocky training, training montage. montage yeah it's awesome yeah um, and he starts to have a few breakthroughs and you can tell he's really pleased with those. But then when he's called, you know, he's, those are actually kind of minor breakthroughs for the skill that he's really trying to learn. And so he gets very frustrated when he can't do the bigger things.
2: He that, getting, he's getting physically stronger, mm-hmm. but he's still unable to move the rock.
1: Right. And his teacher's kind of pleased with some of the steps that he's taking, but he's not having the breakthrough that he wants and he can't do what the teacher can do. So uh-huh. he becomes very frustrated and wants to throw in the towel. Uh, and, and like all of those steps of learning a new skill, I I think we've all had (laughs) it Mm -hmm. it kind of made me think of learning when you, when you first pop in a video game and you're like, this is going to be cool. And then you kind of have some success on the first beginner level. (laughs) And then then once it goes up to the the harder level, you're like, this this is stupid. (laughs) No one could do this. (laughs) This game is rigged. Uh, And and you see him reach the point where he believes the game is rigged uh, against him. Uh, But then when he, you know, he he gets the final breakthrough once he kind of refocuses and really listens to what his teacher is 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 telling him. Uh, and at the end, he's he's not moving rocks the way that Toph can do, uh, but he he is able to actually do some earth earth bending. Is that what's called earth bending? Earth bending, yeah. I yeah, like. So I uh, thought the learning process was uh, was really done well in this twenty minute sequence.
2: Yeah, the cool thing that they can do with a series that lasts three years is. They can take their time with the character's development. And every, every, everything that Aang um, gains, he earns. The only, the only thing that comes with him is his airbending. And, you know, he's a great airbender when we see him. But that's just sort of inborn, right? I mean, he's born right. an airbender. But everything else takes time. It takes him time to learn to waterbend. Although he picks it up fairly quickly. Um, the earthbending feels earned and then the fire burning that comes later. It's I don't know. It's just I like I like when a creator, an artist, uh, is willing to take time and let uh, characters develop slowly.
1: Right, and I think that's something that's allowed in this kind of storytelling more so than in like a film. I, I right. think that's one thing that I like about a switching around from week to week, talking about you know, be it a TV series or a film or a novel versus comic books. Like, there's very different styles of storytelling that tends to be done within those and there are strengths for each that you cannot do in the other one and the long-form serialized storytelling of a comic book series or of a of a tv series i think allows for those more incremental uh developments right. whereas in a film it, i mean i mentioned there's a training montage in this but it's the training montage to him having a very minor breakthrough whereas a yeah. film would be a training montage and he's he's suddenly an earthbender right
2: <laughs> yeah i mean it, his training montage is like not getting taken out to the woodshed every single time by by <laughs> Toph, like you know, he'll have like a a tiny victory where he doesn't get just completely shellacked, and then she'll <laughs> and then she'll crack like this teeniest tiniest little um, sort smile of, of approval, sort of proud smile, and then he's just beaming.
1: Yeah, he, he gets a giant <laughs> beaming smile
2: at that that hint of approval from his teacher. Uh-huh. Yeah. I guess
1: uh, we should point out for our listeners who might not know the series that when we talk about Toph. I think the way we talk about her it makes her sound like she might be a really, you know, uh, wizened old, you know, intimidating. kind of, a, yeah, intimidating figure. Um, uh, yeah, like a, a huge, uh, you know, what you'd
0: imagine someone who could move the earth would be, yeah. but she's not. She's a <laughs> so,
2: tiny little blind girl, young too.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's like 12. Tough is probably 10 or 11.
2: <laughs> she just, she's so, she's so tough. And in in the episode right before this, we get to know Toph better, but she's had a really hard life. She grew up on the streets as a blind girl, and she's very like, I can do everything on my own, and I don't need anybody else. Our producer, Andrew, I think has some, some additional information here.
0: I gotta, I gotta call you out on living on the streets because she was pampered, oh, but she would break out and fight true. in these underground wrestling matches thank you, yes. against the boulder. Yes, I, thank you for, I was thank very you for close calling me calling out about myself. Thank you. <laughs> With your vast knowledge, yes. Well, and it, it's worth mentioning that this is only the third episode of the entire series that features Toph as a character. It's the f- the fourth episode since she's appeared, but one episode did not feature her at all. I loved Toph
1: as a character. (laughs) Like, all those
0: dichotomies (laughs) of what we're describing, that she's this super tough
1: taskmaster, but she's also this young girl who's—I mean, Aang looks like a young child, but she looks younger than Aang uh, in in the series. But she just has this—the voice acting and the way—the animation, like, the way she holds herself, she's—there's this this beautiful dichotomy that's on display.
2: She's uh, built—she is small, but she's built—built sturdy— you know, she's got these kind of square, like Fred Flintstone feet. She's always um, barefoot so that she can feel the vibrations in the ground.
1: Yeah, Andrew actually had to tell me that she's blind. <laughs> like I had, I had missed that. I'm like, oh, there's there, like they. I thought the animators had done something weird with her eyes. No, But Andrew pointed out that she kind of does the daredevil sensing vibrations yes. with her feet. Yeah, uh, that's how she ears. does it.
2: And when when we meet her, and she's uh, she's uh, Earth. Bending, fighting people in like these underground wrestling matches <laughs> ring thing. I don't even know what to call it. They're like cage fights, and she fights all these huge, uh, bulky earthbending guys, and, and you get to see kind of how she. It's cool how, what they do with the animation to to let you see her feeling the vibrations. Um, and you'll often see. I don't know if you notice this, but uh, when they show, they'll show. I'm trying to remember how they do it like a close-up of her face, and then they'll drop the camera down really quickly to her feet. Um, and it's, uh, it, it's I don't know, it's like a cool nod to the way that she's experiencing the world. Mm-hmm. is not through her eyes, but through her feet. And so you'll see uh, every once in a while they'll do these kind of close-ups to her feet or they'll pan uh, quickly down to her feet in, in interesting ways that you wouldn't see with other characters.
0: She also tends not to stand face square to people she often stands sideways yeah. and then points at them sideways or yeah. she just doesn't care to put her face towards their face.
2: well she can't see that fa- yeah i mean she can't see that is to see their face it's i think it's the animation for her i mean to how to animate a blind person is uh an interesting challenge i'm sure uh and they just pull it off beautifully i think Right.
1: Uh, going back to Aang, there's one thing, other thing that I want to say. <laughs> I mean, we kind of going off of this top, that's right. uh, story, uh, or, or character. But with Aang, um, one other thing that's really interesting to me is, um, like I said, I could tell he's the main character of this series and he's supposed to unite the whole world, but he still was very believable as being a child. Uh huh. Um, so like when he is having his game is rigged moment where he, where he wants to quit, he's in this breakdown, he comes and he finds the, Brother of the Waterbender, whose name is Sokka. Sokka, and he's, he's- about sixteen. <laughs> yeah, and he's stuck in the ground, and Aang, like tries to help him, but then he just kind of gets wrapped up in talking about his own problems. Uh Like he-, <laughs> <It's so> <laughs> <laughs> he, you know, he's not this perfect hero who goes around and saves everyone or anything like that. Like he, he's just really, as a child can be, you know, gets wrapped up. Or I mean, not even a child, like as anyone can can do, gets wrapped up in what his own problems are, and is kind of oblivious <laughs> to. <laughs> to how bad the situation is uh, for
0: someone that's, you know, right next to him. Well, and he's he's saying things like, I feel really uncomfortable. Yes. And so just, <laughs> yeah, uncomfortable, huh? And and I'm stuck between a rock and a hard
2: place. Hmm. <laughs> I wonder how that would feel. <laughs> <laughs> the humor in this is, like, just the balance of humor and philosophy. I mean, like we talked about before with uh, Uncle Iroh, but the series as a whole... I think one of the reasons why it's so beloved uh is the way that it handles so many different tones throughout, I mean, it can be right. really like, funny
1: uh, some of the animation like with the characters become so exaggerated and they do these crazy things really like a bugs bunny cartoon, yes is what it made me think of but then you know these they're not treated like cartoon characters, even mm-hmm. though we have those visual moments uh, usually for humor of uh, these very exaggerated and goofy. Uh, you know, expressions on their faces and that sort of thing. But they're, you know, they're not, uh, you know, I guess like Roadrunner or Coyote or anything like that.
2: Yeah. But, like, but there are definitely moments where the, all of a sudden, like you're watching this kind of serious, the, 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 um, the animation style I don't think is ever overly like realistic. I mean, it always feels kind of simple and uh, it's drawn in a really simple style. But it doesn't draw attention to itself, and then all of a sudden, somebody will get really mad, and their eyes will bulge out of their head, and <laughs> and you feel like you are watching a Peanuts cartoon or Bugs Bunny, exactly like you said. And I just really I like the way that they,
1: but but somehow the it, the blend works. Yeah. with this, I think there are some series that move in that direction. It starts to feel disjointed. Uh-huh. Um, but in this one episode that I watched, like it, it made me kind of chuckle, and it, it kind of made me aware of. I I felt a little postmodern that like I was becoming more, more aware of the form I was watching than the story, than the uh-huh. narrative itself. Uh but it it didn't like jar me to the point of like getting frustrated, which sometimes when you have those kinds of genre mashings or form mashings it can do.
2: Yeah, or just take you kind of completely out of it.
0: I I think it's worth noting they do that very consistently with the animation, you know, they, they have, well, when it's a certain tone, we can be this cartoony, but when it's a fight sequence, we can only be this cartoony yeah, and things like that. But they also incorporate that with the music and the sound effects, which mm-hmm. is something Joseph mentioned to me while he was watching it. And I think he probably wants to bring up. Well, I was going to say, when, <laughs> like the, when, every time it was Earth i like, oh, that's
1: it sounds just like Legend of Zelda with the Gorons, which if you've ever played Legend of Zelda, they're the earth people and they, they roll and just the way the rocks, yeah, the sound it does. effects just made me think completely of Legend uh-huh. of Zelda. Yeah. And, and even some of the, I guess, like, I mean, Legend of Zelda, there's no talking or anything, but some of the, the voice inflections, even like when they're, th- I, I could kind of hear Link's, yeah ah <laughs> <laughs> so
2: That sort
1: of, that sort of inflection happening with the characters. So, I, I mean, I would imagine the creators of this had played some Legend of Zelda
2: <laughs> in yeah. their day. I would, I would imagine uh, so. I, that's
1: a supposition. I have no firm proof of that, but, uh, <laughs> just, if I closed my eyes, I would have thought I was in a Legend of Zelda video game. Yeah.
2: But the music is all symphonic and not Which, video Le- game. at Legend of at Zelda all. has
1: a lot of that style
2: too. Uh, I see. I only ever played the original. Oh,
1: Legend of Zelda <laughs> has some iconic uh, sound, yeah, orchestral yeah, I- scores for for the later ones. But yes, if you were just playing the original,
2: <laughs> Nintendo, <laughs> yeah, I, I only ever played the NES. original old school old school <laughs> yeah, one.
1: Yeah, there's a kind of a tinier uh, yes <laughs> sound quality to
2: that. Um, the action that we get in this. In this episode, one of my regrets about choosing this episode is that we don't get a lot of great uh, bending kind of fight scenes, uh, but they're done really, really well in other episodes, and uh, I highly recommend sort of checking it out just to see. And from what I've read, um, apparently they've, they have studied martial arts techniques and every, ben- every bender kind of – so earthbenders uh, fight – using a certain kind of martial art technique that's sort of firmly rooted and, uh, they each have their own fighting style that's, that's based on real fighting styles. And yeah, I, I think it's was, cool.
0: They had, um, they had a, a, martial artist kind of with them in the studio most of the time to do video reference uh-huh. and, and he would, and he was trained in a number of different styles, but I think they're mostly Chinese. And yeah, you're right. They, they do a different style for each one. Um, and for earthbending, they actually do two because Toph's style is different and unique from every other earthbender's style. Oh, really? Yeah, they gave her a different one. And, um, it, I think it's like Southern Mantis Kung Fu <laughs> and like firebending is like Northern Shaolin and. And airbending is like wushu. Like, there's, they're, <laughs> they're very specific. Like, you can track them down and you could learn these fighting styles if you right. wanted. Um, but, yeah, the the interesting thing that they found with um, Toff's style, and they didn't know it when they, you know, chose that style and developed the character and everything. But the legends are that that style was in part developed by a blind woman. Wow.
2: That's awesome. So that's just kind of a fun little convergence. Ah, that's really cool. But that, yeah, even just the the one episode before that's called the Chase. I think it's called mm-hmm. is has some really good fight scenes in it. So you don't have to look you don't have to look far for some really great action. Uh, but this this one's kind of light on action and heavier on character development, which is good too.
1: Um, I wanted to ask you, Todd, about the the second storyline with the the Firebender. Yes, Zuko, uh, the student doesn't
2: seem to take teaching very well. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, he doesn't. He's not he's not very uh teachable.
1: I but I was going to say I guess so we kind of said there's these three different teaching styles. Which teaching style would I mean, you're a professional teacher, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh which teaching style do you think would be the most effective or would you most want out of a teacher of those different teaching styles that we see on display?
2: See, I think that's a really interesting question because there's, you just asked two things, right? Yes. Which one would be more effective <laughs> and which one and would which I prefer? <laughs> yeah. um, I know that people that are tough coaches in my life, as I look back on my life and I think about uh, mentors that I've had that have really been able to squeeze a lot out of me, They've been in general, really tough coaches and people that, uh, kind of intimidated me (laughs) and, um, and it's not something that I would ever choose. Uh, but, but I recognize the value in it. And I'm going to guess, I'm going to go out on limb.
1: It's not your personal teaching style.
2: No, (laughs) (laughs) no, there are moments where I have to be firm with somebody and just talk straight with them. Uh, but I've yeah, I'm way more Katara than I am Toph. I think as a teacher, maybe not. I, I know that some I, I I have been criticized by some students who say that I'm you know really mean and hard and because you made them turn in work and condescending. <laughs> but uh, but in general, I try to you know nurture a feeling of um you know confidence <laughs> in my students. I really do think. I, I mean as far as teaching is concerned, I feel like, and I didn't invent this by any means, but you know, we have a, like a comfort zone and a freak out zone. And there, I know there are other terms for these and like a learning zone. And I try to push students as far out of their comfort zone as possible without getting them into their freak out zone. And the, the best way that i found to do that is to just push them all the way over the edge. And then just before they fall, sort of grab them by the front of their shirt and then just pull them back, you know, one step back onto the ledge. And then they're they're deep into their learning zone. Um and I pretty much every semester after the first week, I have a lot of students kind of having panic attacks cuz I push them really hard. <laughs> and then I say, "Okay, now it's time to just take like take a deep breath, take one step back, and now you're right where you need to be." And and I I mean, I think I don't, I'm not like the best teacher in the world, but but I do think that students learn a lot in my classes, and and I've had you know really good experiences working with with students. So so I don't know. I mean, maybe I start out more tough and end up more Katara, but but I don't think at, at any point I'm not like come on twinkle toes you spiny little <laughs> you spineless jelly-boned <laughs> she, she has we're some of the sack of... <laughs> Yeah, she has some really great lines but my kids were like man daddy tough is mean <laughs> and she really is mean and and I think I don't I mean I don't know like I, I was watching um something on ESPN and they were talking to Mike Šiševski who's the Duke basketball coach and
1: I'm one of the most successful coaches in history
2: of any sport in at, at any level and his mentor was bobby knight who was a who is a maniac and like,
1: a, iconic for pushing people into the freakout zone yeah and not pulling
2: them back like being abusive to <laughs> his players and like throwing chairs throwing across chairs, the yeah. across the court like it just During totally games,
1: at drafts
2: yeah and, and they, it was an interview with Krzyzewski and, um, and Bobby Knight and, and they were like best friends and Coach K was like talking about what a great mentor uh, Knight had been. and I, I want to clear up Coach K
0: meaning Coach Krzyzewski. Coach Krzyzewski, yeah. <laughs> In case people don't know how that name's
2: spelled. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Krzyzewski is spelled with a K. Uh,
1: but and so I, is nice. So just for clarification. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's right.
2: Sorry, that was far more as a K sound. Both spelled with K, neither starts with a K sound. You're right. Uh, I did not realize how confusing that story was going to be when I started it, but <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's amazing to me. And like I think back on um you know, like my high school cross-country coach, our high high school cross-country coach who was I was terrified of. Uh, but he was certainly able to get a lot out of us and I'm grateful that, uh, that he was there uh, you know, an important time in my life and my, my, uh, dissertation advisor during my PhD, I would walk out of his office and I'd like, you know, do the, like, check my nose to see if it's bleeding <laughs> when I walked out of his office. Cause he just, he would just like ream me for the weakness of my arguments and, <laughs> And I felt like, man, I, there is no way that I could ever please this guy. And, you know, he pushed me right to the edge until I finally wrote him a letter and said, I don't know if I can go on with this because I feel like I'm being abused. And then he said, you're doing great. And I'm a tough coach and I'm going to squeeze everything out of you. And then I was like, oh, okay. Uh, I guess we are friends. And then, you know, it worked out great. And, but even in Spain, like I would go to Spain and people would go, "Oh, you work with Rosina," and I say, "Yeah," and he'd, they'd go, "Man, how's that?" <laughs> like <laughs> international reputation. <laughs> yeah, because uh, because he's known as a kind of an intimidating, tough guy who doesn't take uh, flack from people. And um, but man, I learned a lot from him. So I don't know. It's a lot of talk about teaching styles, but
1: I fear that I'm like Uncle iroh but i'm mostly just making (laughs) non-sequiturs you're just the goofy you're just the goofy uncle (laughs) iroh not the wise sagely one (laughs) no zen
2: (laughs) all comic relief no zen (laughs) (laughs) i i do think that it's really interesting to think about and because because the tough style can be so successful but is it like is it ethical I mean, right. is, and, I is mean, it worth see- it to get, is it worth it to get that much out of people if you're, you know, borderline abusive to them? Right. Which, uh,
1: I mean, my understanding is there's a, that film that got really good reviews last year. Uh, I have not seen it. It was about a jazz drummer. What was it called? Whiplash. Whiplash. But uh-huh. it was a basically, like the whole film was this, uh, apparently very abusive. Like the, idea, yeah. the concept was, do you need abuse? Like like emotional
0: and verbal and physical. And he was he was like counting out, and then yeah. he'd slap him and say, "Was I too fast or too slow?" Yeah, like But does that make does that where greatness comes from? Like the, the stu- in order to
1: achieve the greatness that was within the student, does he do it need to be pulled out of him that violently? I guess is one of the premises of this film. Right, and is
2: it worth it? If it is, right. I mean, uh, I I think th- like as a you know. As a father, I would say no. It's not. Yeah. Like with my own working with my own children, there are lines that I won't cross even though I know that I could get them to go to bed. <laughs> there are certain <laughs> there are certain things that I know that I could do that would cause my children to go to bed on time. <laughs> and <laughs> I un- will not do. <laughs> and I'm unwilling to do them. Yeah. And there are, you know, certain things that I could say to some students that would get some students to excel. And I and like it's a line that I won't cross. But, but I'm also I also recognize the fact that you know Bobby Knight's able to to get Coach Sheshevsky to be Coach Shashevsky because of his style in part. And
1: Bobby Knight had I'm correct in saying he had national championship teams,
2: right? Yeah, more than one or just one. Um, let me check oh. the recesses of my mind. Oh, my sports trivia! <laughs> <laughs> I feel when like there a do... time in my
1: life I would have known this without hesitation. <laughs>
2: Well, we only do uh, college football now, so uh, okay. three, <laughs> three NCAA championships and one national invitation tournament NIT uh, title, oh. if the recesses of my mind are correct. Right.
1: Okay, so multiple national championships, but notorious, uh, <laughs> and I, I use that word notorious for his coaching style, uh, you know, uh, not being on the warm and cuddly side.
2: Maybe we could find a YouTube clip of, uh, of a Bob Knight.
1: I'm sure, the sheriff throws definitely in there. <laughs> I mean, that, that was a lot of distance <laughs> on that chair. Yeah, throw. well,
2: I mean, there's a reason why he's a commentator now and not a coach,
1: right? Yes, no, he like literally he he cannot coach. He's too uh, toxic, uh, volatile. Yeah, well, well like no administration will risk. Yeah, uh, bringing him in now, and that's saying a lot
2: because administrations administration are will put up a lot for winning. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> put up a lot for winning. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Uh I mean another famous coach that was kind of along those lines is Rick Majerus, who coached Utah all the way to a finals, um, but was famous for also being one of the most abrasive coaches that was working in the in the industry.
2: Yeah. So again, we we have strayed <laughs> significantly <laughs> away from, from talking Aang about Aing, and- <laughs> but but I do think that um that we're not so far from the heart of this episode, which is about teaching and learning. <laughs> and you see, you see Aang kind of struggling to, to learn. Uh, Toph str- well, struggling say, to teach him. Struggling to teach him and she adjusts her style. Like the
1: breakthrough for Aang comes after Toph adopts some of Katara. Katara's. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. Uh, some of Katara's method. Like Katara is trying to uh, teach A- Toph how to teach Aang. And at first Toph completely ignores her. Um, but she does give uh, a little i mean she's not by any means cuddly at the end of the episode no. uh but she does adopt a little bit of katara's methods and that's when ang has the breakthrough and i'm wondering if i mentioned at the start of this <laughs> this long tangent into teaching styles uh <laughs> the, the dual storyline with the fire uh vendors i'm wondering if that student needed a different style of teaching
2: well zuko zuko is troubled
1: so <laughs> well, there, lightning there's a line in there where uh uncle Iroh. Iro. i'm getting all these names down iro, uncle iro says something like you 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 won't be able to do it until you like go of your turmoil and zuko yells what's our turmoil <laughs> yeah <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean he's he's been exiled by his father he has a huge scar on his face uh that covers you know his whole eye and, caused and by his father. The area around his eye, and it's caused by his father.
1: Speaking of tough love. Yeah. <laughs> Teaching.
2: <laughs> and he has a sister who's a prodigy, who was always loved more by the father. Uh, his mother loved him, well. but abandoned the family when she realized that the that the father was a monster. So he's abandoned by the one person who really loved him. He's completely, constantly tormented by his sister. Um, I mean, in really like, cruel, cruel ways. I'm trying to think of... What did I see? Some other sibling that was horribly... So, I... I was reading
1: on Wikipedia, and it mentioned that this was praised by critics and fans, even outside of its target demographic of six to ten-year-olds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just wanted to put that in the, in the discussion with what you're describing right now.
2: Yeah, so, so he's gone on this quest to, to find the airbender, to find the, the Avatar, and capture him and take him back to the, his father in hopes that he will gain his father's approval. So that's his motivation is I have to go find the airbender. I have to find the airbender. I have to find the airbender because when restore I capture him, I will take him back to my father and it will restore my honor because I've been basically sent into exile, uh, banished by my father in complete shame. So he's got a lot going on. <laughs> but, and, and he's set up as Aang's sort of arch nemesis but then Azula shows up and and it it really changes the narrative in um it's a cool narrative twist when Azula shows up and you realize that maybe Zuko is not the ultimate bad guy or even just only a henchman for his father but um but maybe there's like there's an arc to be followed there as well and and then you you get to watch not just Aang develop and learn, but you see Zuko do it as well. And it's it's cool. It's beautiful. And I think it's one of the reasons why it's so appealing to uh, people outside of the demographic audience of 6 to 10.
0: I want to throw out a, an idea about the teaching. might cut this, but Todd, I know you haven't finished The Legend of Korra, but have you gotten to any points where um, – Spoiler zone. Hold on. Uh, for any listeners, zone. Legend of Korra is apparently a sequel series to yes. Avatar yes. the Last Airbender. I don't think we've covered that. Uh, so. A generation after. And so you get um like Ang's children. Yeah. And they discuss the methods he had for teaching them or caring for them as a parent. Have you gotten to any of those sections? Um Tom?
2: I don't think so.
0: Okay. It's it's interesting to think about where this episode has Aang as a as a student and, you know, seeing teaching styles and all of that, and then thinking in the following series, how he became a, a parent and a teacher of his own children.
2: Yeah, just her just her discussions with her uncle about um learning airbending. I mean, I remember the, those scenes. I don't remember specifically him talking about how, how Aang taught him.
0: Yeah, so Ultimately, they end up with um, three of Ank's children discussing how he treated them and and whether he was too tough on them because they needed to learn how to do things and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So in that context, it's actually very interesting. Yeah. But um, when I was watching it originally, I didn't think of it as the same character who had been through this episode and, you know, been yeah. conflicted about teaching styles and, <laughs> and how
2: to learn. Yeah. I think it's. I think it's really interesting. I mean, it's something that we all should think more about.
0: Intriguingly, uh, a brief connection: Whiplash, starring uh, Academy Award winner J.K. Simmons. J.K. Simmons voices Ang's son in the Legend of Korra. Wait, what? Wow. <laughs>
1: I can't imagine J.K.
0: Simmons. <laughs> he he voiced a character for four seasons of that show. Whoa! Well,
2: okay, it's a different I mean, it's a different it's kind, kind of, of a, a show. Voice. It's a different style. the The target demographic is older for Legend exactly. of Korra. I can't
1: imagine him voicing one of the characters in this. I guess
2: uh, he,
0: he does voice an adult character. Yeah,
2: yeah. It's it's definitely yeah. I, it's a different the the animation style is different. It's more uh leans closer to realism than than this series um and the the characters their conflicts are all a little bit more grown up uh but i i really all the main have enjoyed are like it. 18 oh, okay yeah they're a little bit older um but i really like what i i have enjoyed what i've seen of legend of korra so do you have any final thoughts about this
1: Uh, this, I mean, I was dropped into a season two episode of a series. This is about the midway point in the whole series. And it is a strange world. There are weird creatures. There's a saber (laughs) tooth moose running around. No, it's a saber
2: tooth moose lion.
1: Oh, right. Right. The flying (laughs) lemur. You really liked that one. Yeah. There's a character that walks in with this weird animal on her head. And I was like, is that supposed to be there? (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I was charmed by it. And I think there was a, I mean, kind of like we talked about with Toph where there's this interesting, um, disconnect between the appearance and then, you know, her character and what she does. Um, the depth of some of the philosophy that was on display in Uh the series doesn't match some of the, uh, zaniness of the cartooning in a way that, um, I, I was not expecting, but I was, um, just very pleased to find. And so it was, I mean, this episode was only like 20 minutes long. Yeah. It was, I'm used to saying 22 minutes, but I think this was even shorter. They packed a lot in and there's a lot of stuff that was very thought provoking, particularly uncle Iroh. Iroh? Yes. Iroh. Iroh. Mm-hmm. Iroh. He has some fabulous lines yeah. and then some just wonderful non sequiturs. That- <laughs> 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 that just make you laugh out loud. Uh, and, and he has these little actions too that, um, you like, you gotta be paying attention and watching because he does these funny, funny motions that if, if you're looking away, uh, like perhaps typing in some information for a future podcast, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you might only catch half of and want to rewind and, and see everything. So, uh, on the whole, I was very impressed with this, uh, both in terms of the way the story was being told, but also the depth of the story that was being told.
2: Yeah. I, um, I actually, so as I was trying to decide what episode of this to watch, I thought, maybe we could do two. And then I thought, well, in the past we've had that thought and there's always been enough. I don't know if there'll be enough in this 20, 20 minute episode, but there's, it, it is really thought provoking and it's good stuff. Good stuff. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Okay. That wraps up this episode. Thanks for joining us. Please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in iTunes and please leave us a review. It helps both with our viewership and our feelings of self-worth. Links to things we've talked about in this episode are at ProtagonistPodcast.com. That's also also where uh, you can find a list of all of our shows. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. And uh, we're also on Twitter at, at protagonistpod. I'm at Todd K. Mack. He's at Jay Dorowski. And our producer, Andrew, is at Andrew underscore Dorowski. And our Facebook fan page is fa- uh, facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. And we love uh, all of the interaction that we get there if you want to buy a topic for us to discuss or just support us with financial donation you can click the support link on our homepage. or go to patreon.com protagonist thanks again for listening and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character and a great story so long so long
0: If Joseph's got to talk, then.
2: Just don't say anything else. I've got it. And
0: I think I do do occasionally need to speak. (laughs)